Authors Over 50, Writing in Life's Sweetest Third. Authors Over 50's weekly podcast celebrates writers and their journeys to publication. Writing after 50 is a whole story on its own, so let's skip to Life's Sweetest Third and talk with authors about their journey from pen to publish. Welcome, I'm Julia Daly, your host, and I invite you to listen to interviews with writers who've achieved their goal of publishing a book just later in life. We've seen award lists for under 30 or under 40, but I've yet to see lists for those who've achieved a significant milestone of their own, launching a new career and publishing their first book after the age of 50. We will hear about these authors' inspirations, struggles, strategies, and the smell of that first book. These writers' journeys inspire me because I'm one of them. My guest today holds a master's degree in social work and has studied child development. She uses these insights to inform her picture book writing. She holds a master's degree in journalism and is currently working in public relations. Her goal in creating Be Kind Publishing is to produce lighthearted rhyming stories with gentle themes of teamwork and friendship. She resides near Chicago, Illinois, with her husband and two terriers. Welcome to Authors Over 50, Cheryl Bass. Thank you for having me. Cheryl, our opening question on Authors Over 50 is always, what took you so long to write your first book? Hmm. Well, um, the story for the, the idea for Baby Dragon's Big Sneeze actually came to me 13 years ago. So um, I kind of put it aside and uh, but then as I approached 50, um, my New Year's resolution for this last year, what my, my 50th birthday was December 19th. So in 2022, my New Year's resolution was to get this published. And I had tried for a couple of years before with uh, literary agents and publishing houses and they weren't interested. Um, so this last year in 2022, I decided to self-publish. What do you think was the most difficult part of your artistic process there? Well, right now, uh, the marketing piece. Um, I know I do PR for a living, so I know how to get myself interviews for things like this. But the uh, paid ads and so on, that's all new to me. I don't know any anything about that. So it's a learning curve. I'm learning new things. So it's exciting. <laughs> I think a lot of people say the same thing. And I, I wondered about that learning curve as far as self-publishing and, and how to teach yourself all of those um, different aspects of self-publishing. Was, was that a difficult learning curve for you? Well, I thought it would be. I thought, you know, that was why I'd been so reluctant to self-publish all these years. Um, one, because there is an upfront cost involved. And I did get a personal loan to do that. And two, because I thought I'd have to buy a thick book called Self-Publishing for Idiots or something or similar, and I'd have to really, you know, figure all these things out. But it's a little bit of a misnomer. There are people that help you. Um, in fact, I'm a member of two groups. One of them is um, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, SCBWI, and the other one is Children's Book Insider, CBI. And both of those websites, if you're a member, the websites have uh, videos on them that people can listen to. And one of the, they were for free. 
Um, and one of these videos had a woman named April Cox, and she has a business called Self-Publishing Made Simple. And so the author who works with her, whoever works with her, can retain the rights to their, their book. And she helps with all of those kind of housekeeping things, like um, applying for ISBN codes, you know, the little like UPC type symbol on the back of each book. Um, how to file with the Library of Congress, um, how to find your illustrator. She has vendors that she works with. In fact, she had 12 illustrators that she knew were very responsive and would turn over the rights to the illustrations to the authors after they, um, after the book was ready. That's like, as a work for hire. And so I looked through all 12, looked at their websites and narrowed it down to my top four, my favorite four. And she said, okay, now have your favorite four illustrators sketch just a rough sketch pay them each fifty dollars have them rough sketch all the same scene from your children's picture book and then that'll help you decide what you like best so then i narrowed it down to two and i used my friends and family as a focus group and said you know especially those with kids and grandkids and i said to them you know which dragon do you like the best um you know and then i was able to find my illustrator, Ramesh Ram, who's excellent. And that has got to be such a harrowing process because uh, illustrations for children's books just is the most important thing next to your writing and has to capture the the imagination of children. So how, how did you decide on that? Well, that was actually the most fun part. Every time the illustrator would email me, more illustrations to look at. It, it was like Christmas, opening the attachments and seeing my characters come to life. And I, when you self-publish, you have so much creative control. I was able to tell the illustrator exactly what I wanted my dragon to look like and what I wanted the people to be wearing, um, what's happening in every scene. Um, so it was really great to partner like that. You can't do that if you traditionally publish. Um, unless you're an author illustrator, in which case you're doing your own illustrations, but otherwise they're choosing the illustrator and it might not be your vision for your story at all. So that's so true. And then to make sure that the colors are vivid and all of that, did you um, strictly publish through Amazon to do that? Um, so Amazon is in charge of my, so my paperbacks and my uh, ebook through Kindle, but Ingram Spark is uh, in charge of my hardcovers. But you, people can still order them on Amazon. To the to the purchaser, they don't notice the difference. They, it's all on the same. You know, you click either paperback or hardcover. Um, they don't know that it's being handled by somebody else. But the nice thing about Ingram Spark is that my book is also available on uh, Walmart.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Yeah, that that's a, a great incentive, I think, for writers to go with Ingram and, and have that wide distribution. And mm -hmm. I, I do the same thing with my books. I have always thought about children's books and how beautiful they are and how much they mean to our children. My youngest granddaughter is six and she's a voracious reader and, you know, loves all of that. And in fact, has written her own little, you know, children's oh, wow. books. So she may be a writer one day too, but I've, I've heard that there are printing uh, companies here in the U S and of course in China that just do gorgeous jobs 
with uh, the colors and, and the quality of work. So I'm always interested to know if anybody has chosen those routes. Hmm. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but for my my illustrator, <clears throat> um, Remish Ram is through Pryan Animation. And um, so so uh, they do animated uh, cartoon type images as well, moving uh, images. Um, and I'm going to use him in the future. I'm going to be doing um, sequels to this story. And I have other stories that are in rough draft form that are not related to this, that are picture book stories. They're also going to rhyme. And I'm also going to use him for those as well. That's nice, I think, to keep that consistency. And then your books could be bought as a series or a set. and They all have the same look. Mm -hmm. How do you think writing that first book changed your process of writing for, for those to come? My process for writing rhyme I've been writing rhyme for a long time in other contexts. So for example, my sister and I both sing and growing up, we would always do parody songs um, for my family. That was what we would give as gifts for birthday, um, you know, anniversaries, things like that. So we would take a song usually um, and then it, usually the song lyrics already rhyme. And then we would change the, the lyrics to be about something funny in our family and, um, but my process is usually to come up with, well, with that one, with those songs, it was to come up with which song I was going to use and what con what ideas I was going to use. And it's the same for this. What are the ideas I have in my head before I put pen to paper or fingers to keyboard, what's going to happen roughly? So I, if I write something longer form, I probably would need to do an outline. But for a children's book, a children's picture book, which is usually around 400 words or so, um, I just have the idea in my head of what's going to happen. And then I have rhyme zone open and thesaurus.com open. And I go back and forth between them, trying to find, uh, you know, ways to phrase things. And I read it out loud to myself as I go along to make sure that the meter is correct. And then I do get it edited. You know, I, I don't skip that, that process. I had two editors look at baby dragons, big sneeze, the first one was a woman named Laura Bonchi, B-O-N-T-J-E, and she did like the developmental edit, basically to make sure there were no holes in the story. For example, um, Baby Dragon's Big Sneeze is about a dragon that sneezes and accidentally burns down a whole village, and the people are mad at him and so on. Well, in in the original story, um, the Laura Bonchi said to me, why aren't the dragon's parents helping him? Why is he asking the community to help him? So then I went, had I realized that was a hole in the story as, as one, you know, that's what the developmental edit is for. And so then I wrote some extra lines about um, how he hatched alone in this cave and how he doesn't have parents. And so one of the me one of the messages in the story is about found family. So, um, but she helped with that. And then the final editor is um, Bobby Hinman, who is an award-winning children's book author herself. And she also um, is an editor. And she helped me make sure that the meter was consistent um, and, and did that final piece as well. Well, I love that it's a rhyming story. You know, so many of our poems today are not rhyming. And, and that's what I love about poetry is that I was so impressed with how everyone could rhyme. So I'm so happy that your book rhymes. <laughs> Thank you. Well, actually, interestingly, um, when I was submitting it to literary agents and publishing houses, 
some of the responses that I got back were, we don't like rhyme. We're, oh. we do. Yeah. And so sometimes things go in and out of fashion in the publishing world. And I guess rhyme is one of those that's sort of out of fashion now. But mm-hmm. there, as someone who used to be a social worker, I know that there is um, research showing that there is rhyme helps children developmentally. It helps them with the language acquisition. Um, It expands children's vocabulary, promotes reading skills, especially with reluctant readers, promotes creativity, gives kids a sense of rhythm, helps kids learn how to pronounce certain words because they're anticipating what the next word is going to be. Um, And that's why things like nursery rhymes are such a big thing for children. So I I definitely am a proponent of rhyme and definitely want to continue doing that in my future stories. I think so, too, because we used to have rhyming songs and and poems and even for multiplication tables you know to learn those and Mm -hmm. and I I think kids are missing out if they don't have rhymes and I think that's such a talent so I I appreciate your your continuing that that in your children's books because I, I do think that's crucial for children to keep those in their heads and then they can they can learn to read by listening to your rhymes as they read Mm-hmm. And a lot of people think that because you only use 400 words, that it's not as difficult as writing a, a novel. But I don't think that's the case. I think because you have such a small amount of valuable real estate, you have to make sure every word counts. Right, right. Yes. And I think that my journalism background um, helped me with that. I don't know. I, I would like to write a novel one day, but my journalistic experience um, I remember in journalism school, they would say, you know, if you can't say it in 600 words, it's probably not worth saying. So all of the exposition, you know, of describing the trees and the sky and this and that that happens in novels, which I love to read, but I don't think I could replicate at this point. Uh, it would take a lot of unlearning of what I've learned as a journalist in order to do that. But the economy of words is very comfortable to me from my journalistic background. Well, that. It's what I've heard from a lot of journalists I've interviewed is they had to learn how to get much more descriptive because mm-hmm. they were, you know, to the point on everything. Yes. And um, so I, I think that's great for you and in, in your children's books. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Do you have a writing routine? I know you're still working in public relations. Do you, do you write certain times of the day? Do you write every day or do you wait to write on the weekends? Usually it's on the weekend or in the evening. I know that I'm I'm more awake and more creative in the evening. Um, and with public relations, I, I work from home. So I'm able to kind of go with my own circadian rhythms. And that's that's important to kind of know yourself. If you're if you're not barely able to formulate a sentence before your coffee and before, you know, maybe you know, 10 or 11, don't try writing your your book or your stories early in the morning. If that's not who you are, don't try to change your overall constitution. That's a piece of advice that I would offer. Um, So, you know, if I find myself at three in the morning, you know, either wanting to write a press release or a good first line comes to me, sometimes that happens if I get a good first line um, or something happens in my day that like uh, with Baby Dragon's Big Sneeze, it started because I sneezed. I had a really big sneeze one day and I thought to myself, if I were a dragon, this would be really doing a lot of damage. And then I that was just this absurd thought. And I thought, oh, well, that's a cute idea about a dragon, you know, sneezing and burning down a village. And um, so then I started writing it. So the idea would come and and uh, but 
But now um, I have an idea for, for the second one. And um, so I start writing a little bit and then I let myself go away from it. If I start to get frustrated, um, I maybe give myself a couple of days and come back. You know, there's no real deadline with this. This is all just self-inflicted, for lack of a better word. If this is my own, um, you know, and it took me 13 years to do the first one. So um, it's not a race. Uh, you know, I... I would like to have another one out by the end of this year, but if I don't, I don't, you know, I met my own personal goal of having one book by the time I turn 50. And, um, you know, so what I, what I do sometimes is I jot things down as they come to me. So that's another thing that happens or I'll text it to myself. You know, if something happens in my day, that, that seems like a good idea for a story. And I start writing until I, I get, stuck and annoyed and then I walk away from it and then I, I ponder it on my own and sleep on it and come back to it usually a couple days later. What about the second book? Can you share any ideas that you have for it or are we going to be able to see this little dragon again? Yes, you will see the dragon again, but I don't, I don't want to tell you, uh, what happens in the second book? Because I'm not sure yet. I have an idea of what's going to happen to him, but I have to see if I can execute it. If I can't, then something else is going to happen to him. So I'm not absolutely positive yet. But it is a series about this dragon. Yes. Uh -huh. Okay, good. Well, what about publicity? We mm -hmm. talked a little bit about that you're in public relations. I was in public relations and marketing for most of my career, and I have found that it's much more difficult to promote myself than it is to promote others, hence the podcast, and I'm paying it forward to my fellow authors. So I find it much easier to promote others than to myself. But have you right. found any publicity that's worked for you or maybe that didn't, didn't work you can share with us? Well, I... Um... I have had to really treat myself as if I'm somebody else. So yes, I have the same kind of insecurities and things like that. And so it is harder to promote myself than other people. But I've had to just, okay, I have this client named Cheryl Bass, and she deserves my attention as if I'm two different people, you know, and I, I need to promote her. And uh, so so that's what I've been doing. Um and, you know, the same things that I would do for anyone else. I use the same databases and, and call the reporters and follow up. And, and I've um, also applied for several awards. There are several prestigious awards for self, specifically for people who are self-published, which is nice. Um, and But there are also some that, that are not, uh, that are just, you, you pay money to, to do it, but they're not, they don't have any uh, reputation. But one of the things that was nice is that April Cox was able to tell me which are the good um, awards that actually are reputable to go ahead and, and apply for and which ones to kind of stay away from. So that was good. So that was part of my, um, so I'm also trying to get myself um, readings to do readings and signings at bookstores and libraries and podcasts and and also the traditional media that I I also um, garner for people I'm I'm trying to garner for myself. I think those are all great ideas and I've heard a lot of children's authors going into the schools and having yes. readings there and handing mm -hmm. out bookmarks and maybe their parents mm -hmm. will 
um, use those to remember the book, to be able to, you know, order the book. If you have those, that information on the back of bookmarks, you know, things like that, that the children can take home, but trying mm-hmm. to get it in the school libraries, you know, a lot of, a lot of ideas like that for children's books. Right. That's a great idea about the bookmarks. I hadn't thought of that. Hmm. What about what about any specific books or seminars or writing retreats or groups that you can share that improved your writing journey? Well, SCBWI and Children's Book Insider, uh, Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, I would definitely, if people want to do children's writing, I would definitely recommend both of those groups because they have retreats. They have online um, webinars and and trainings, and they also have videos that you can watch for free on their websites. And that's how I found my um, my sort of my Yoda on this journey, which is April Cox. But also um, I found my editor, my first editor, Laura Bonchi, through a Facebook group. So Facebook can also be very useful to bounce ideas off of people, um, other authors. So, you know, type in for groups. They have groups for everything you know, for diseases that you may think you might have and for whatever, your your hobbies and interests. And so um, for self-publishing and for just authors in general, there are several Facebook groups and you can just read the, you, you can lurk. You don't even necessarily have to post something, a question yourself and see what other people are asking and, and, uh, and make connections that way. That's been very helpful for me. Well, Cheryl, tell us a little bit more about the premise of the book, uh, we talked about the sneeze, so maybe that's all you need to set it up, but read for us a, a few of your pages so we can hear your tone and voice in the book. Okay, great. Well, so basically the premise, uh, as you know, is he this dragon's flying around and he has this sneeze and he burns down a village and he's horrified when he realizes what he's done. Um, so he goes to write an apology note. Um, but... Uh, and the town is ready to attack him. Everyone in the town is, you know, but this little girl, it doesn't make sense to her. Why would he be flying around and be, you know, perfectly fine with them for several weeks and then all of a sudden decide to attack them? It didn't make sense. She was angry, but she wanted to, she at least um, wanted to hear him out. So another message in the story is giving others the benefit of the doubt, not jumping to conclusions about situation. So she goes to talk to him, goes into his cave and confronts him and asks him why he did this. And she actually becomes sort of the hero of the story because she saves him. He, it turns out he has a cold and, and the town works together to help him. But she um, sort of advocates on his behalf and saves him, saves the town. Um, and so there's messages in the story about sharing, compassion, helping those in need, um, all of those um, pro-social values, in fact, it's a lot of people refer to it as social-emotional learning. And so it's got those pro-social aspirational messages, and that's why I started Be Kind Publishing, because all of my stories are going to have in common those sorts of messages. But I'll just read a few pages. This is Baby Dragon's Big Sneeze. Here, there's the girl, and there's the dragon with the snot coming out of his nose and the uh, red um, eyes, you know, roomy from illness. Okay. I will tell you a story from legends of old of a huge baby dragon who caught a bad cold. He had soared through the villages just as he pleased until one autumn day he regrettably sneezed. And here is, for those of you looking on YouTube, 
here's the illustrations. I'm holding up the book and showing uh, our dragon. And I'll just <laughs> those, read are, those are great. He's a great dragon. I know. Really good illustration. Fire burst from his mouth and it burned every shack. So the townspeople planned a great dragon attack. And here he is. Hachu, sneezing, oh. <laughs> blowing fire. And that was a, people with a big sneeze. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when he saw what he did, the young dragon got scared and wrote an apology note that declared, For weeks I've been flying around having fun. I never intended to hurt anyone, but I caught a bad cold and then suddenly sneezed. Yes, I burned all your houses and now you're displeased. <laughs> there he is writing the note. And... Here he is feeling bad. And I'll just read uh, these two next two pages before the girl comes. Um, if someone could help me to finally mend, I'd love to assist you and be your new friend. He was planning to leave the note them the note overnight before any people could find him and fight. Oh. That's lovely, so, okay. Cheryl. That that's really <laughs> lovely and and Thank beautiful, you. beautiful illustrations. I think children are going to love this book. Thank you. <laughs> do you ever Google yourself or read reviews? If so, how do you deal with the bad or the good ones? I love the good ones, of course, and I repost them. That's another good. That's a that's a best practice in terms of marketing. Um, anytime you get a good review. Um, put it on, post it, say, oh, check out this great review I just got on Amazon and post it on Facebook, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, all of those things. And that's what I've been doing. The bad reviews or, uh, you know, not so great reviews, I just kind of um, shrug them off as best I can and, and move on. And if there's something um, that is you know, I do take into consideration what people say. I don't blow off anything that could seem possibly negative because sometimes there's there can be feedback that that is worth taking. So um, I read them and I and I take them in, but I don't let them just destroy me as a person. You know, um, April says you're not really a true writer until you get your first one star review. And that does happen. Sometimes people just don't get it. And that's okay. It takes all kinds in this world. So, but you're not writing for the one star person. You're writing for the people that can read it and appreciate it and love it. So. Absolutely. And I think there are trolls on every site that just want to bring yes, us And down. she also said, and this is interesting. She said, sometimes the people who give you bad reviews could be spies for, or your actual competitors. So if somebody, yeah, it can be pretty cutthroat in, in writing. So if somebody who gives you a bad review could be, you know, have a similar book and to be using a, you know, a different name or something on in their review. And, uh, but that's how they're doing that. They're trying to undermine your sales or your overall score as it were. So uh, it's so frustrating because the writing community is such a generous community. You hate to think that any writer would do such a thing, but I think there are people who just have nothing better to do because mm. um, my first one star review said, I just didn't like the way it felt in my hand. Well, that's, oh my gosh, that doesn't have anything to do with the story. <laughs> right. Wow. So you have to <laughs> forget about those and, and dwell mm -hmm. on the, on the five stars. Exactly. How does your family 
Uh, what do they think about your your writing and your career as a writer? They're very proud. Um, my nephews and my sister and my mom uh, all helped me come up with, um, you know, they they had one of my nephews is very uh, detail oriented and he was able to notice any inconsistencies in the illustrations and so on. Oh, in this page, the dragon has five scales and this pa page he has four scales, you know, the, the, that kind of level of detail, which is very important. Um, so they've all been very helpful. My father, another reason I frankly wanted to get this done um, was that my father was very ill last year. And I wanted him to be able to hold the book in his hands before he passed. And unfortunately, he passed away when the illustrations were still in the black and white stage. He never got to see them in color. So I made the dedication to him in the book, um, And which is another thing that's nice about self-publishing. Children's books that are traditionally published don't generally even have a dedication page. But I was able to do that uh, and honor my dad in that way. And that felt really nice. I do think that is a lovely thing to do. And I think it, it's so nice to be able to leave this book as a legacy in your family. And, and mm -hmm. everybody is so proud that they have an author in their family. Mm -hmm. And they can all participate. It was something positive mm -hmm. while he was very ill that we, you know, I would share the illustrations as I would get them in, in email. And my father would look at them. And um, even though he, you know, could barely do anything by that point. But he was like, oh, these are adorable. And it was so nice to to have something positive that we could all look forward to. So, And just thinking, you know, with my public relations cap on, if I were writing a children's book, you know, it might be fun to go into your local neighborhood school, elementary school, and have mm -hmm. a contest and let the kids help you name the the a character in your story or mm -hmm. something like that, you know, that wouldn't cost you anything, but would certainly bring a lot of good press and you might could get mm. that into the newspapers and, mm. you know, and that would be a fun thing for the kids to be involved with. And maybe they would all have to have their own copy of the book. <laughs> mm. Mm -hmm. That is cute. That is a cute idea. Well, Cheryl, as always, our last interview question is our writers over 50 are a unique set. Do you have any advice for writers 50 and above? It's the same advice that I would give to writers who are parents or writers who are busy professionals or whatever the circumstances, um, which are some of the things that I do that I find helpful. Um, if look around you as you go about your day, think with your writer's cap on. And think, you know, would this be a cute story for a child? How can I make this into a cute story for a child? And if a good first line comes to you or a good premise comes to you, jot it down, text it to yourself, say it into your uh, your phone, you know, record yourself saying it. Um, and then as you as you are able and as your own circadian rhythms dictate, um, write when you are able and when you can. Um, and remember that it's not a race. And um, so, and it's your own personal goal. So there's no timeline on this. And, um, you know, it took me 13 years, as I said, to do, to do this one, to get this one out there. So, and then the others will hopefully come faster, but, um, but it can happen. And um, self-publishing has really leveled the playing field um, for people who are not famous and who are just regular folks who have a good idea and want to get it out there. So it's a great time in the world of publishing um, for, for regular people with an idea to get it out there. 
So I would encourage people to, to follow their ideas and see where they lead. You are certainly an inspiration to those who want to write children's books and, and the rhyming is so beautiful and the message even, even nicer, because I think we all need to be kind to one another Mm. in this world. And we, it starts with our children. So writing a book about that is certainly going to impact many, many lives in the future. And we're happy to say that you're now one of our authors over 50. Yay. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Please look for Authors Over 50 every Thursday when we will have conversations with accomplished debut novelists over the age of 50. Please subscribe and share with a friend. And check out my own publication journey after 50 at www.juliadaily, that's D-A-I-L-Y, like dailynewspaper.com. Until next time, keep reading and writing. And remember, it's never too late to fulfill a dream in life's sweetest third.